0: This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High-quality information. Because high-quality information informs much better decision-making. Dittman Research has been providing high-quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com Landmine. All right, folks, we're back. I'm very happy to be joined by Kevin Ann Huckshorn, PhD, MSN, RN, ICRC. That's a lot of acronyms on your title.
1: Thank you, Jeff. It's good to be here.
0: Um, you've been to Alaska before, because when I was in Juneau uh, last session, you came and testified before, I think, the House Health and Social Services Committee. Yes. Yes, uh, sir. So you're, you're, a, you're a, I guess, what is it, psychologist? Or? I'm
1: a psychiatric nurse. Okay. Yeah. And- My PhD is in mental health policy.
0: And you're involved, you were up here for the WellPath. Um, yes,
1: I came up in uh, the first week of February of 2019.
0: So what was your, your, you were, um, this is like kind an of expert, but you were explaining kind of with WellPath what their plans right.
1: were. And- um, well, WellPath is a company that partners with uh, state governments um, to help turn around troubled facilities or start up new projects that the state has decided would be possibly better or more easily um, begun um, through public-private partnership. So what we do, at least WellPath Recovery Recovery Solutions does, is that we tend to go into troubled hospitals and um, fix whatever is going on so that the people there can get really high-quality health care services and be better able to manage their illness um, when they get back into the community.
0: Are these like all hospitals or specifically- They're mental of, health hospitals. Mental health hospitals? Yes.
1: Um, both civil hospitals, which are regular, like API is a civil hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one of our hospitals, South Florida State Hospital, is a civil hospital, which means that uh, we admit people that are not involved in the criminal justice system. And then you've got people that um, have mental, serious mental illness. They get arrested for a crime- They end up usually being taken to jail or prison, depending on the state and someone notices that they don't seem to be acting correctly or, or acting normally. So um, usually the public defender will petition for an evaluation to make sure the person is competent to proceed to court. And if the person's found not competent to proceed to court, they need to get competency restoration services. I know that's a big mouthful of uh-huh. weird terms, but what it basically means is that every you know, every American citizen has the right to face a judge and jury, but they need to be competent to do so or else it's not really fair. So in other words, you wouldn't bring a person with dementia to court by themselves and expect them to, to try and manage a lawyer and a, and, a, and a courtroom and a jury trial or a, uh, see a judge. So what we do is um, the person would then receive competency restoration services so that they could be made competent so they can go back to court and go through that legal process.
0: So it's kind of like sometimes you hear somebody to, you know, commit a crime and they've been, and instead of jail, they get um, sent, sent to the to, hospital. Like-
1: yes, that's exactly right. And so those hospitals are called forensic facilities. And we manage a number of forensic facilities. And um, we're actually in seven states plus Alaska. But the reason I separate out Alaska is that we are not running the Alaska Psychiatric Institute where there's consultants right now. The rest of our facilities we actually run.
0: So does every? Um, I assume every state and, and big big city has some f- kind of facility like like an API to to yes. help people that yes, have mental... all.
1: But I think there's one state that has privatized that out, and it's actually run by a, only a private company. But all, all the other states um, have both civil and forensic hospitals or facilities or services that they so they can provide the appropriate service to the citizens in that state.
0: So there's a, a ton I want to talk about. I want to go back and, and talk about you and your background. Um, but I guess a while ago I was talking to somebody who's a doctor and I I kind of made a comment I'm not a doctor or anything and I kind of said you know there's like all oh, this people in this mental health and it seems to be you know, such a problem and I said I, I kind of made some comment it didn't, maybe wasn't as big of a problem in the past and he said well that's because they used to just take people and, and uh, lock them up or what's what's the word
1: um, institutionalize in, in, someone mm-hmm. and
0: so I guess is that is that what we used to do we used to just Somebody who's had problems, mental health problems, they were crazy, we just put them into an institution?
1: Prior to the 1970s, that is indeed uh, what happened a lot of times. So hospitals were not 100 beds or 200 beds, there were thousands of beds across the country, and people would be put into those facilities and sometimes left there for many, many years. In the 1970s, wow. um, John F. Kennedy signed the the mental health, um, re- re- basically the Mental Health um, Restitution Act, where um, th- we had learned a lot more about mental health by that time. A number of medications had come out, and, and it became very clear that pe- many people with serious mental illness could be much better managed in their communities and that they deserved to get care and treatment in their communities and basically live at home like you and I do so that we didn't need all these hospital beds and that actually putting people in hospitals for long periods of time hurt them. It, it, basically, makes, it, it basically makes the person extremely dependent And they lose their skills on how to take care of themselves. So in other words, if you or me got admitted to a hospital for a long period of time, being told when to get up, when to go to bed, when to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, where we could go during the day, when we could make a phone call, what we needed to wear, we would start to lose the ability Mm -hmm. to take care of ourselves. It's It's
0: almost almost like a prison. Yes. It's
1: it's somewhat similar to prison, although it was never supposed to be. It was never supposed to be punishment, but it... it's very human beings aren't meant to be housed for years in an institution with strangers
0: so when in the past when they would commit someone or they would institutionalize someone was there a a court order was there i mean who who decided decided? often
1: the police um sometimes the court was involved before the 1970s sometimes and the and sometimes the police sometimes family members could drop off people and it was pretty common knowledge that Children like runaway truant children, or uh, wives who are unfaithful to their husbands or oh uh, gosh. yeah all, all co- uh, people with substance abuse problems um, um, people with developmental disabilities could be just dropped off at the doorstep of some of these large state institutions and just left there. But all that changed in the 1970s, and that's when you'll hear about the deinstitutionalization. Mm -hmm. I've heard heard that. And unfortunately, that had great values and great plans associated with it, where um, people would be moved out of state hospitals and and helped to get housing and vocational services in the community, and the money that was going to be saved from all these beds in state hospitals was supposed to be moved into the community service system for mental health. But unfortunately, many states did not do that. They just discharged people from the large institutions and they never built the community system of care. So it ended up where people were just out on the street because they didn't have any living skills to to fall back on. They didn't have a job. They didn't have any money. Um, so then they ended up going to being picked up and put in in jails and prisons. And that's when you'll hear people talk about the criminalization of the mentally ill.
0: Right, yeah. Which
1: is a horrible thing to happen because you shouldn't be in prison if you have a serious mental illness.
0: So, you know, what's... what's I guess it's hard to solve. It's a big, big problem. But we have... In our community, we have this issue. And, you know, especially downtown, I've seen people, the same people, that are, you know, very vocal and yelling Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. scary to some... Mm -hmm, Especially mm -hmm. women, you know, they're walking and this one guy, you know, he eventually kind of assaulted someone. But but we all kind of knew he was there or these people. But, I mean, you can't just grab him anymore, right? You can't just say... you, you, you. if they don't want help, right. they can't. So how do how do we as a society? What's the answer to, to deal with these? I mean, it's a big problem.
1: Um, and it is a big problem. It's a big problem across the country. Um, but what what peop, experts have been developing is um really a picture of what is the model mental health system of care because a hospital like API shouldn't just exist alone. API cannot treat everybody. That has a problem with mental illness. That they're just they they never be big enough, um, and the resources shouldn't be in expensive inpatient facilities um, when you can set up community-based programs. So, a a robust community mental health system would start with a one eight hundred toll free. Um, 24-hour manned uh, emergency telephone line like 911 Mm -hmm. um, and it would be manned, like I said, 24 hours so that anybody like a concerned citizen could call in and say, this is what I'm seeing right now. What do I do about it? The second piece would be 24 hours, seven days a week mobile crisis where you send out a team of a clinician and probably a peer support specialist who's got a mental illness but is in recovery to go immediately to that scene and see if they can intervene with it before the police have to get really involved although sometimes the police will be called too um, another piece of that of a robust community mental health system is to set up a diversion programs where you'd have a standalone what some people call a psychiatric emergency room so then they don't go to a regular hospital emergency room which really aren't well equipped to handle people with mental illness crisis it would be a separate standalone place like a, like it could be In this kind of a building that you're housed in, Uh where there'd be nurses, um, psychiatric oversight, peer support specialist, probably a social worker, and police would be able to drop people off so they could be assessed immediately, evaluated, maybe get some medication, and even stay up to 23 um, to 48 hours to get stabilized And in the states that have been able to find the money to do that. 80% 80% of people are diverted from having to go hosp- into the hospital. Then you, if you do really have an emergency that is serious and acute um, and, and it can't be handled any other way, the person goes into a hospital like API, they get they get treatment. Um, usually it's anywhere from a week to three weeks, depending on what the issues are and, and if they um, are willing to take medication and willing to engage with the staff. And then they get discharged. But at the point of discharge, they don't just go home and expect you know and 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 live you know just have no support services they get immediately linked up to something called an act team which is an assertive community treatment team which is a group of clinicians and other staff that basically exist to provide services on a daily basis to any patient that's being discharged from a state hospital so they'd be checking in on that patient every day, calling to see if they're okay. The The person, the patient who's, who has the needs, would know how to contact them 24 hours a day. Um, so they they'd get assigned a case manager who's kind of like their support system in the community, especially if they don't have a family member to rely on. They'd be placed in safe housing that aren't big um, congregate living places like what we used to call flop houses, mm-hmm. you know, which are not, a, that's not a good quality of life. Um, yeah. There'll be housing specialists to try and see if they're interested in working and if so, what kind of job could they do? Um, and then there there would be peer support specialists in the community and drop-in centers where people could go and just kind of hang out like all of us do. You know, we all do th- fun things, you know, on the weekends or in the evening. I go to we the bar friends. I go, to, go, the go to the bar sometimes,
0: well, not always, but
1: okay. Well, we so. probably wouldn't want our people, uh, people with right medication, not, to go to yeah, bar. But <laughs> you know what? People with mental illness are just like you and me, basically. And no one wanted to have or or develop a mental illness. Well, I was once uh, so told that,
0: by a friend that, that you know we're talking about mental illness, and they said you know if somebody's legs snapped, you look at it, and we all agree they have a you know serious injury. But if somebody's mind's Hurt or broken. You no know, society. We don't generally. I think it's maybe getting better, but we don't recognize that as the same thing as a broken bone, right? Or, right. or, or a, you know, a, a you're, you're correct. You can see.
1: And what you're talking about is the stigma that's associated with people having a mental illness. And I think a big component of that is people are. It's frightening because there's no overt injury. So if you're a person watching someone who seems to be acting oddly. It's scary because you don't know why they're acting oddly, and you don't know what... It's unpredictable. Um, people with mental illness, sometimes when they're very ill, they don't behave like you would normally expect in a social situation, and so it's scary to people. They also don't know if they're on drugs or not. Nowadays, a lot of people get intoxicated on medi- on drugs, that illegal drugs that have been mixed with other kinds no. of substances, and so they can act in a very scary manner. Um, the other issue is... No, you know, people don't really understand. How do you get that? Like, how do you get schizophrenia? Is it catching? No, Um, it's a genetic. It's a very complicated illness that is looks to be genetically based um, and may also be based um, with regard to environmental stressors, often prior to birth. So we don't know a lot about why these illnesses happen.
0: I mean, some of the, the John Nash. That's a pretty good example. He he was. An environment Brilliant. where, where mm-hmm. he was, as a movie in the book, but he, he was um, kind of encouraged to almost act like that. Nobody identified that till he was in his, I think, like 20s. Yeah,
1: and that's usually um, when what we call the first break happens. If, if someone is going to develop full-scale schizophrenia or major mental major mental illness like bipolar disorder or major depression it usually happens um, around the late teens to early 20s so, although that can go all the way up to the 30s
0: so when somebody's fully you know schizophrenic I mean they, they legitimately see things and hear things that aren't happening is that
1: no it's just like if if you if you and me both got the flu there'd be commonalities between our symptoms that right, well, you okay. might get you might get pneumonia and I might just have terrible stomach upset. So schizophrenia is a, is a complex disorder that manifests in a lot of different ways. So some people, you'll, they, they don't see or hear things. They just get extremely paranoid. So if any listener is thinking about if you're one of those people that when you smoke marijuana, you get extremely paranoid, but you don't hear voices or you don't see things in the air, that's just, that would be a similar kind of feeling. Very frightening. Um, very wow, frightening just... feelings of paranoia. And if you are you don't know, like if you, if you just smoked pot, you're going to know you just smoked pot, so you can kind of say, well, that's why I'm feeling paranoid and I'm really uncomfortable and maybe I won't do that again. But for someone who's developing schizophrenia who doesn't really know what's going on, it's extremely frightening and it's very real to them. Other people do sometimes hear voices. That's the most common. It's relatively rare for people to see hallucinations. Um, it's not nearly as common as people think, although it does happen, and usually it has to do with if there'd be a shadow on the wall. So it's usually based a little bit in reality. Um, but those are very scary you things. Know, when, I, when
0: I was uh, it's funny, you mentioned that when I was much, I was probably 21. Um, I came home and my, my roommate was there with a buddy, and they were you know playing Monopoly or something, and they said you want a brownie, and I said we made brownie. I said sure. So I had, a, they said have another one. I said, so I'm, I'm did that. You know I'm playing Monopoly, and I started to feel really like weird. And I'd smoked pot before that, you know, but I just started to feel super, and I just didn't, I couldn't explain it to myself. I said, why do I feel like this, you know? And and eventually it kind of clicked. I said, what what the hell is in those brownies? But it was after I was, and it was so scary Mm -hmm. because I didn't know what was wrong with me Mm -hmm. because I didn't realize they had essentially drugged me, you know? Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, Exactly. And then imagine if at that moment in time, all of a sudden, th- three policemen showed up at the door and said, you're coming with us. Oh,
0: wow! Well, yeah. I just...
1: So can you and so you can see where some of these incidents really develop into some pretty, you know, scary, violent, sometimes situations that hurt everybody and are very traumatizing to the person. Well, I was
0: Before we started, I was telling you that when years ago when I was driving a cab, when I was in college, I got a call once for a hotel here in downtown Anchorage and they you know it's normal to get get a call to go to a hotel and I I get there and um, the guy says hold on one second and he puts this woman in the cab and I asked her where she was going and it, it was um she was just totally crazy I mean she was just it was really upsetting to me but they they just thrust her on to me but I didn't you know I felt bad I didn't know what to do I didn't want to drop her off but she was just gibberish and talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger and talking about conspiracies and ta- and then saying stuff that was kind of clear for a moment but then it would go from and you know, I, I just didn't know what to do. I was like very scared, like what you described. I was very scared. I didn't What'd know what to do. Deal. Well, so eventually, I said, "Is there anybody I could?" Almost have at some points, I could have a conversation with her. And I said, "Is there anybody I can call? Do you have a number?" And she started saying a name, and she started like spitting off this number very quickly, ten digits. So I called it, and it was. Her, it turned out it was her brother who was who was in Washington, and he explained that she was she was um, schizophrenic, and she was kind of on and off her medications, and it was a long term family issue, and. He asked that I take her to API, which 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 I did, and and I dropped her well, off. Good and for you. I was happy to, but it was um like you said, it was one very very scary. I was young and I didn't have have a lot of experience inexperience with that, and two, um, I didn't going back to your previous uh, point about somebody to call and where to go. I didn't know that.
1: Right. Well, uh, there were, there may I, not I have AP, been anyone. I
0: knew API was there, I guess, but it wasn't like a. So speaking of that, you talked about all those um, services. calling. Is, is is there a city or place that has, mm-hmm. ideally has that system set up?
1: Yes. Um, a number of states have set up those systems um, in the lower 48. Um, and I know that currently uh, your um, experts in Alaska have been meeting for the last couple months to discuss what it would take to bring these services to the state, um, because um, it's critically important to be able to do that. And I think with uh, you, there's a, there's a, process where the state can apply for certain kinds of waivers from the, the federal Federal Medicaid agency. And when you do that and you get approved, you're able to draw down a lot more money from the federal government to help support and pay for these services. So without having the state to have to come up, you know, pay for the whole thing themselves. So I think that's underway in terms of um, state experts in the, in the DHSS uh, looking at these um, issues and, and looking at the needs of Alaskans. Are there other countries?
0: I know in Europe, you know, for example, with with um, the criminal justice system in Norway and uh, other other c- countries, they've kind of done a very different approach to incarceration. It's funny, one of our former state senators who was a very conservative Republican from Fairbanks, his name is Pete Kelly. Um, he went on a trip to Norway years ago uh, with some other legislators to look at their system. Hmm. And he's one of the he was formerly kind of one of these like, lock him up, tough on crime and and he said, um, we talked about this once in an interview, and he said he couldn't argue with the results. You know, that the recidivism was way down, and he said it'd be hard in America because it's kind of, it's it's not as tough on crime prison as we think, but there, like other countries that have adopted that, it, it's,
1: it's yeah, a really good...
0: Is this similar with mental health, or is this other...
1: No, that's mental health, and it, and it is, every country's a little bit different, um, but in terms of the progressiveness in terms of moving people into the community and providing supports and services in their communities on a 24 um, seven day a week basis Um, much of europe um, new zealand australia have done a really nice job in in uh, doing that kind of work Uh, we've learned we in the united states have learned a lot from um, what other countries have done including their um, they launched mental health first aid which is almost like uh, C- you know what CPR is? cardiopulmonary sure, yeah. resuscitation, which a lot of people I'm uh, I'm certified. Okay, good for you. Well, in 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 Europe, you would also be certified in mental health first aid because what mental health first aid does is it trains you exactly what to do in the face of a mental health crisis, like the woman in the in your in your taxi. Um, so it's and it teaches you the ins and outs of whatever system that you're working in, who to call for help, how to approach an individual. Um, Another issue is that in in Europe and in other countries, the police are all trained in skills to manage people who appear to have be suffering from mental illness symptoms. And we have that, too, in this in in the United States. It's not as broadly been implemented, but we're catching up. So there's good news on the horizon.
0: Yeah, we had a guy here, I don't know, four or five years ago. He was. Kind of a sad deal. I think he was probably mentally ill or he was on drugs, but he was a, he was a stick and he was very aggressive mm-hmm. and police surrounded him and it got really crazy and they, I mean, they, they killed him and it was kind of a situation yeah, where sad. I think there was dr- drugs involved for sure. Yeah. So so if, if um, when you say mental health, I mean, obviously there's, there's hereditary or there's inherited like schizophrenia or something, but a lot of these new drugs we're talking about, you know, they come from China, they're synthetic. Um,
1: they can fentanyl. mimic yeah so, they can mimic mental illness so,
0: so is that something that's but that's t- temporary i mean real mental illness is something that's kind of you, you're essentially born with or you yes you, it's not something yes. you can just take take a drug for a long time and can you be permanently altered if you do enough drugs yes or? you can
1: your brain uh your brain is a brain your brain is an organ right and so you take enough chemicals you will damage that organ just like you probably also damage your liver and your kidneys and your heart um, hmm. and at some point like with alcohol there's a uh, there's a whole disease progression that leads to something called Wernicke Korsakoff, which used to be called in the old days wet brain. Um, and that oh, is yeah. where you basically create, you basically um, damage your brain so much that it's almost like you have a dementia, even though you could be 35 or 40 years old. So, yes, bra- um, brains respond poorly to constant. Use of illegal uh, drugs and and especially n- n- when you don't know what they're mixed with.
0: So right now, you know, we hear with this gun violence. We hear, I mean, actually, it was kind of this is unrelated, but there was a kid yesterday who brought a elementary school kid brought a gun to school. You know, so but you hear about the the gun violence for the shootings and things, and it's always a lot of folks talk about mental health. And obviously, that's probably a big factor because to do something like that, you have to have some serious problems. But is this something that we've always? had and now it's more recognized or when it comes to mental health because before we said we just lock people up um right is is it is it more prevalent or is it just more kind of we we talked about talk talk about it more well
1: i think mental the the prevalence of serious mental illness like schizophrenia bipolar disorder and major depression has not shown a, a huge increase in prevalence but that's you have to separate that from the school shooting issues, um, which is indeed a fairly new phenomenon, mm-hmm, yeah. and would never have been swept under the rug. I mean, you couldn't have swept that stuff under the rug. So that's a different social phenomenon that has a lot of variables. That it has everything to do with um, the uh, the fact that you know the nuclear family is 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 moves around a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, that kids. Um, are, go to school and, and they sometimes get bullied and nobody knows that that's happening. Uh, we know a lot more about trauma um, and what happens to children who experience traumatic life events and no one notices and no one intervenes um, because a child who's, the, uh, who's experienced severe trauma, whether it's from abuse, neglect, um, severe loss, um, just being moved into the foster care system is a, is a tremendous traumatic event for a child, even though if their family was really believed not to be able to care for them, just taking a child away from their parents is a huge traumatic loss. What we know know about trauma is that trauma sculpts the brain. And so trauma changes the way the brain functions in some very negative ways in terms of growing up to be a productive citizen. Um, For one thing, uh, most of us have learned how to self-regulate our emotions. So when we get upset, we don't throw a chair. Right and especially if we're at work or, or somewhere where we might, might get us into trouble. Just go, go
0: back to the legislature and maybe yeah. you'll, you'll, <laughs> some of those so, folks haven't haven't
1: <laughs> well we, we tend to not highly you know productive people that hold down jobs and have families right, and pay yeah. taxes tend to not throw chairs when they get upset. Um, what happens with children is that their their fight or flight immediate response system under stress does not develop appropriately. And so it kind of bypasses the cortex, which is your executive decision maker in your brain. And, and they just respond, sometimes actually pretty unconsciously. And often that response is violence related, um, especially if they've been the victims of abuse. In their, in their families or in, in somewhere in their life at an early age. So these kids that, that the, the, you know, and I'm not an expert at all on school shootings, so I don't really, you know, I, I'm not mm-hmm. the right person to talk to about that. But what we do know is that there are a lot of variables that go into that, mental health um, services being available to parents. We know that, you know, we also know in this country that it is um, easier in a way to, to have a baby than it is to try and get a dog from the pound. I mean, I just tried to do that a couple of years ago and I had to fill out a 20 page. Um, well, it's the same thing with adop- document. Ad- adoption. I mean, adoption it's, it's, it's is so that easy that to have a exactly, kid, right. mm-hmm.
0: but, but people who actually right. had a friend. Um, it's kind of funny. She had a she had a friend, they, her and her husband trying to have kids for years. And a friend of hers went out one night and met a guy and, you know, went out home and pregnant. And it was she was so mad because her friend didn't want that. Mm. And, and and it was so hard to adopt, and it was expensive, it, and it's it is, like it's, it's so easy hard. to have a kid.
1: Well, um, and so my point is, though, that while that's true, you know, parents do the best they can. They don't. There's not a degree you get to become a parent. You know, parents often don't even go to classes. They don't have a support system that maybe knows what to do. I mean, my sisters are parents, and they struggled a lot, um, you know, with just different kinds of behaviors their children had. I mean, it's a very difficult job to be a parent. So... Um, you know, at WellPath, I mean, I, you know, our our belief is pretty much that people do the best they can in the situations that they find themselves in. Um, but it's, they're, they're, those are very complicated well, problems.
0: What, what do you, what would you say? Or what do you think? Um, sometimes you hear, you know, somebody commits a crime and, and then it's a serious crime and there's a trial and you, and you look at the history and they develop, you discover all these things you're talking about. They were abused heavily, a lot of trauma when they were a child, they, they horrible upbringing. And then some, you know, half the Country says, well, you know, it doesn't matter. Forget it, that you know. But then other people kind of say, well, that should be taken into some kind of con- consideration. I mean, I know it's a very tough thing to, especially depending on the severity of the crime. But right. I mean, what, what would you kind of say to that? People who are committing crimes but are very, you know, mentally.
1: What I you know what I'd say is, I mean, even trauma and abuse. I mean, a lot of people have been abused really severely and did not grow up and commit crimes so i think you have to look at the seriousness of the crime Mm -hmm. i think more important is we need to put our resources into preventing that that trauma occurring in the first place Um, and that would be done by much more mental health services in the schools um, getting families in that are having trouble managing their children um, and providing services in a way that doesn't shame or humiliate anybody because you know, when you feel like you're going to be embarrassed because you're going to ask for help because your child's acting out, the, the first thing that happens if you've got an acting out child is everybody looks at you like you did something wrong as the parent, and that's quite possibly not true at all. But it makes parents embarrassed and very difficult to ask for help. In addition, it's expensive. So if you don't have health insurance, I was going to ask about, you about that. You have a problem you know, with that the cost of. Mm-hmm.
0: So so just going going way way back. I mean, how how did you decide to get in, into. Uh, becoming a psychiatric nurse—that's not something. I don't know. I don't know many people that are doing that job. So I know a lot of accountants. Yeah,
1: there were um, there were two two um, probably highlighted events in my life that led me to become uh, to work in psychiatry and mental health. And one was um, when I was a nursing student at, uh, in, at in Florida, and I was doing a clinical rotation in a community, local community mental health center, and there was a gentleman locked up in a room in seclusion who they were calling John Doe, and nobody knew who he was. And I took hmm. a brief glance in the wa- room, and I saw that he was one of my high school um, students. I mean, he was oh a person, a guy I knew from high school. I knew oh his God. name, I- and he was out of his mind. Oh he was gosh. very ill. And you recognize him right away? Yeah, I recognized him right wow. away. so you were... And, and so we t- I told them who he was, and that they were able to contact his family, and he ended up being discharged, and three weeks later he jumped off the highest condominium in Deerfield Beach. Um, so you were in your 20s when this yeah and that was like shattering to me and then the other time and then when i was in um, my bachelor's program at florida atlantic university we watched titicut follies which is a documentary on the care and treatment at bridgewater state hospital in massachusetts um which was a supposedly a hospital for people with serious mental illness but was really a prison and was run by the department of corrections and i was so appalled at the poor care and treatment that the people that were obviously seriously ill were getting there that i remember thinking well someone needs to work in psych in mental health because these people need advocates and so i have done that for 40 years
0: so you you become a nurse first and then Mm -hmm. you you would after that become a psychiatric nurse or is that just one yes that's
1: correct no you 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 become a generalist a regular nurse that can work in any setting and then you some not everybody but some choose to specialize
0: so i mean i'm sure you've seen examples of somebody who's very very mentally ill or disturbed who gets who gets better and and they're they're They become kind of functioning. Is that? Is that?
1: Absolutely. How often
0: does that happen? I guess a a
1: lot. And that unfortunately folks like it like at API people that work at API they only see people at their worst but we happen to know Wellpath happens to know since we're in so many states that you know lots of people get better lots of people return to their home in the, their communities um, and and if they if they get the appropriate treatment so one of our hallmarks is that when we go into a troubled hospital one of the first things we do is we look at the care and services that people are getting while they're in there because we strongly believe that if you're in a hospital you should be getting aggressively treated for four or five hours a day. You should be going to groups or individual activities, receiving evidence-based practices um, that then have Consistent outcomes that you need to be served in an environment of care. That's what we call trauma informed. So we don't re traumatize you. And what that means is we do everything possible not to put hands on people and Mm -hmm. use things called seclusion and restraint. Because I don't care how ill you are, if you're grabbed by a bunch of staff and put in a room or tied down to a bed, that's very traumatizing.
0: How much? Um. How how much of a factor? Somebody getting better. How much is a factor? is, Is is medicine? Or, or you know, drugs. What, all and the ho- different and interventions. How, how, how much of it is just you it know positive really, relationships and
1: you know, Jeff? It's really dependent on the person because again, their illnesses are kind of on a continuum. I would say that. Most everybody with a serious mental illness needs to have some help with medication. Although that medication can start out as getting, they could get a lot of it, and that can be titrated down when they start feeling better, so it's minimal as possible. People criticize patients with mental illness a lot for not being compliant with their medication. What people don't know is that the medications that treat mental illness are very powerful they have a lot of side of very uncomfortable side effects so it's not like you're taking an aspirin it, you're taking medication that can make you that can make you or help you gain 50 pounds because it, cha- it 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 uh, interferes with your appetite structures um, you get blurred vision drool all the time can't go out in the sun walk in kind of funny ways because your muscles become rigid have difficulty sleeping there's all sounds, kinds of side effects that sounds, then they have to horrible. manage it, it it is what
0: are these like lithium or are these, yeah, kind, of, that's these one. kind
1: of drugs um yeah there's oh, there's literally dozens of drugs there's the older drugs like thorazine and haldol and uh seroquel and um, those kind of drugs, which were called, those are just the regular um, first generation antipsychotics, and then a lot more came about in the late eighties and the nineties that are called the atypical antipsychotics, and those are things like Clozaril, uh, Risperdal, um, Medi- uh, Invega um, medications like that. Uh-huh. So, um, and and they all have a different side effect. Profile, So you have to work with the individual to see what they can tolerate, what they can't, and what's the lowest dose you can get them on to manage their symptoms, but not totally interfere so, with their life. So
0: these drugs, actually, they, they alter the chemical makeup of the brain. Is that, yes, is that right? Yes,
1: And we don't know a lot about why some of these drugs work or how they work completely differently, and I'm certainly not a neuroscientist, so I'm the wrong person to ask, and probably you could get someone at the University of Alaska to talk more knowledgeably about these. But what we do know is that they do... Um, change the levels of circulating catecholamines, which are things like adrenaline, dopamine, and serotonin, in the brain, and that somehow helps to manage um, the confused thinking that goes along with many mental illnesses, um, the mania, uh, the 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 sometimes the paranoia. I mean, this is the
0: same uh, reason some people choose to do drugs because it alters their mind right, a little and, bit. And, and
1: sometimes, when people start to get sick when they're 17, 18, 19, 20, and they start to get a mental illness, they don't know what's happening like you were talking about. You yeah. don't know. You just know you're starting to feel bad. And for a child or a young person that age, what's the first thing they're going to do? They're going to maybe self-medicate by drinking a beer or smoking some pot because it's going to maybe make them feel better just temporarily. And that then can become another problem because they get dependent on self-medicating with, medica- with um, alcohol or, or illegal drugs. And that then Complicates the whole situation completely. That's why it's so important to get people in treatment as quickly as possible.
0: Um, Something else I wanted to ask you. Um, I, I don't know if this still happens or not. I think it does. Do we do, we still do electroshock therapy? Uh huh. And, and what is it? I've always wondered what does that do? I mean, I've read about it a little bit on Wikipedia and right. like, what What does that actually? It,
1: it kind of does the same thing in terms of it rearranges brain chemicals. Um, it usually only lasts. It's a temporary solution. So often people that are being maintained on ECT have to have it redone every six months to a year because their symptoms will start to come back. It's very low dose. It works very well for people who can't take medication for whatever reason. Some people are truly allergic to medication. Some people have terrible reactions that makes their symptoms worse. So usually um, it's one of the last resorts and it's not done in every state.
0: Have you seen it happen before? Mm -hmm. Is it pretty intense?
1: No, it's pretty quiet. I mean, the person is usually, um, you know, it's like if you are going in for surgery, so you get some medication that completely relaxes you, Mm -hmm. and there's an anesthesiologist there, and it's a very, very fast uh, treatment that lasts literally uh, less than a minute in some cases. Um, You don't even see the shock happening, and it's usually just unipolar, one side of the head, so it's not like it used to be in the old days. Um, There are dangers that you can lose memory, short-term memory. Um, usually they wake up and then they go back to their house or they go back to the hospital, wherever they're getting the treatments for. And they get the treatments in a series over a couple weeks and they're being monitored the whole time to see if their symptoms are starting to subside. Um, it, it's very effective for severe depression um, and sometimes for people that are really aggressive and we don't know why they are. They don't even know why they are. They just tend to to, to hurt, you know, to punch out at people.
0: Do Do some people... I guess it probably depends on the illness, and and we'll we'll, uh, finish here now. This is very fascinating. I don't know how much time you have, but I love talking about this. Um, Do some people who are mentally ill, do they know? I mean, how many people know I'm sick, something's wrong with me, I I know I'm doing things, and then how many people just don't even associate – their actions or, or their mental illness with it being a problem? I guess I guess it depends on the mental illness.
1: Well, it depends on if they're in recovery or not. A person who has acknowledged that they have a serious mental illness and they need treatment and they're taking medication and following their treatment plan, they know they have an illness. And they just like you or me, if we had diabetes or hypertension, we know we have it. We know we need to do certain things. We know if we don't, something's going to happen down the road. The, the, the real complicating factor comes in where a person – Kinda knows there's something wrong with them, but it's so terrifying to them to think they might, because you know we all grew up hearing about people with mental illness, and like you said earlier in the in the podcast, you know we typically called them crazy and acted like they were different from everybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, So people don't want to grow up and become that. So there's a part of our brain. I'm sure you've heard this term defense mechanism yep okay just like with substance abuse um, you you sometimes will look at someone who's a really hardcore substance abuser who's lost their family their job they've been in car accidents they have what legal problems now that and they still don't agree that it's because of the drug or alcohol and they'll blame like their family or their ex wife or their the, the government or whatever it's the same thing that that's what call, it's d- the defense mechanism of denial is and for many people that have not Really understood that they have a mental illness. They, it's so difficult for them is, to face it. They won't.
0: Is it at all? Is it at all similar? Could it be similar to some people who have substance abuse? You, you hear that, you know, where they decide they want help. It's it's very important when they decide they want help. You have to get them help. Absolutely. Is it similar with mental illness? Like, yes. I, I have a mental illness. I need help. Is that? Yes. similar uh, realization. Yes, but unfortunately
1: because of sometimes the behaviors that people with mental illness demonstrate that could get them killed or somebody else hurt, that's why you have involuntary commitment laws in most states so we can actually take someone in to a hospital and force them to get treatment because they don't have insight. It's called don't have insight into that they have a mental illness. So what we do in the hospital, you know, in our hospitals, we work with people to try and develop insight that you have a mental illness, it's not the end of the world, you can treat it um, if you follow this treatment plan and you work with us on the treatment plan you can get discharged you can have a, a productive life and it sometimes it takes a long time for for someone to grasp that
0: well this has been a uh, fascinating discussion i'm glad we were able to sit down i, I learned a lot and it's well, some, so, something that I, I think more people are thinking about now it's kind of ubiquitous now in society mental illness and how we're dealing with it so i, I you know I, I wish i wish you know API and and all these places the best because I think going back to my story if if I knew more maybe how to how to deal with that with the taxi situation it might have been not you know as, as terrifying and I hope she I don't even know what happened but I, I hope she got help and got better but
1: well I think you did the best you could at the time and I just want to thank you for asking these questions because it is really important to educate. Your listeners and and Alaska and the United States in general on these issues because they are very paramount right now. I think
0: for a lot of people too, it's even it's even uncomfortable to talk about it, just just because mm-hmm. it, it's something that's it's so like you said uncomfortable. You see something and you a person acting a certain way and and it's we all, almost well, it's easier to just not think about it and it's somebody else's problem. But really, it's all of our
1: that's correct problems. It is.
0: So I want to thank you again, um, Kevin Ann Huckshorn. I love your acronyms here on your I, I gotta get some of those I, I have thank to get you. a higher degree <laughs> like an <laughs> MBA you, or something <laughs> thank right, well, you very much going to enjoy your time in Alaska thank and uh, i sure beautiful we'll, we'll, state yeah it's great now now we're finally not so hot it's a yes. little, little cooler now so I want to thank you for coming in you're welcome uh folks if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast with me uh, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one Landline.